Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Welcome to the Francisca Show podcast on JewishCoffeeHouse.com. The show where I give a voice to Jewish issues, topics, and people. I'm Francisca, your host. This episode is going live a day earlier than our usual schedule, and this month we will be off schedule, obviously, because of the Chagim. I really appreciate all the feedback, the overwhelming amount of feedback that came in from last week's episode. Today's episode hopefully will make people happier because our guest still lives in Israel and is happy about it. I am excited to continue this conversation. Please join us in the WhatsApp discussion group for more discussion. Keep checking out the backlog of this podcast. And after this episode, we will be taking a short break with this topic and we will continue on weekly covering other topics until we are able to complete this series. Thank you for understanding. If you didn't know, the Francisca Show podcast is part of the Jewish Coffee House Network. So if you like this podcast, you'll probably enjoy the other podcasts on the network. The link is in the show notes and let's get started. Welcome back to the Francisca Show. Today with us, we have another fellow podcaster, Hanala Felig. Welcome to the show. Hi, I feel like I know you essentially for many, many years now. That would be correct. And I know your music since I was a little girl. So <laughs> we have we have that. Here we are in the future. We're officially in the future. Great way Just to like describe that. it. Okay. And you're a podcast host and I'm a podcast host and we're both musicians. Thanks for doing the introductions today. The reason <laughs> for our conversation is because I'm doing a pro and cons Aliyah series to create a resource for people who are considering Aliyah or for people who maybe did Aliyah and maybe it's not working for them or people who just want to know all the ins and outs of what it means to make Aliyah, whether you call it Aliyah or not based on your Hashkafic beliefs. Let's talk about you know, the ins and outs, the practical sides. And this isn't the only episode, but the reason I wanted to do a separate episode with just Hanala is because Hanala, besides for being a musician and podcaster, has made Aliyah on her own and has been covering it on her social media when she was doing it. Yeah, and there, I still am. I still, you still am. are. There, you're very honest about your experience. You bring humor into your experience. And I think that balance of transparency and humor is exactly the combination you need. Well, I hope people see my love more than anything. Like I hope people appreciate that I truly love living here and I believe in Israel and I believe in the land of the Jewish people and I believe in whatever is related to Eretz Yisrael, I believe in and I love and all the blessings that come from living here I'm accepting. It's such a beautiful life. How could I not share it? Let's get started and tell me some of the things that you have noticed about people anywhere on the spectrum who are thinking about it, to the people who have done it, to the people who have regretted it and moved away, 
to the people who have stayed and are so excited that they can't believe they haven't done this earlier. If you had to break it down to the pillars of what makes a successful move. Well, I feel like the yearning to come to Israel is deeply rooted in every Jew. Now, in some Jews, it lies dormant. In some Jews, it awakens later in their life. In some Jews, it's cultivated. And the ranges from Zionists to just pro-Israel communities all around the world. The question becomes, how determined are we to change our lives and live here on a day-to-day basis and accept everything that's involved in living in Eretz Israel, living in the Middle East, living in shaky government at times, living with everybody's criticism and, you know, the whole experience. Why are we here? Why is it worth it? There's so much to unpack, but I think that everybody who does make Aliyah that is successful finds the reasons it's worth it to live here and lives for those things. What were those reasons for you? Well, I wasn't sure when I got here. I was truly inspired by uh, calling a yearning, uh, an epiphany. There's a number of ways you can explain it. Just it kind of was meant to be. And I didn't know it was going to happen until I realized we're moving to Eretz Yisrael. It's kind of like when you fall in love, like you're alone, you're alone, you're alone. And then you fall in love and you're like, oh my goodness, like had I only known, like I fell in love with it and I was so excited and it was just forward from then on. So you got this calling and then you told your husband you have this calling and he sort of said, oh, me too. Or, well, I didn't describe it as a calling. It was more, listen, it was, I always tell people it was smack in the middle of the elections, Trump, Hillary Clinton, everybody was at each other's throats. America just felt unstable. We didn't know what the future would hold. The Republicans are raging about the Democrats. The Democrats are raging about the Republicans. Everybody's like so hostile. And in Hollywood, in Florida, where I lived, I noticed more and more women in hijabs. And on top of it, we were living like in the whitest part of middle America, you could say, even though it's Florida, where trailers had massive Trump signs because Florida is often a red state. So they hate the Jews. They hate the Jews. Yes, Florida's beautiful, but like, why do we need to buy this house? Why don't we go somewhere where, you know, the land is worth fighting for? And now you have that as well. There are communities, there are communities who are picking up and moving together, not necessarily because of a connection to the land of Israel, but it's more like, where are we living now? It's doomsday. Let's go back to our roots. Let's find a new life, even if they don't know what it means or what it's going to be like. Because part of it is just a calling. Part of it is our human nature to want to try something new that a lot of people say is amazing, taking a risk. You know, anyone who just decides to make Aliyah once they're settled somewhere else is taking a risk because you could just not take a risk and stay where you are and just live out your mediocre life or your okay life. But if something inspires you and you pick up and move and you change everything to feel that inspiration, then that's a different level. So you and your husband were completely on the same page. Was there anyone who was more? Everybody has a personal story. So my in-laws happen to live here. My husband's siblings live here. His grandparents, aunts, uncles, his chavrusas from yeshiva, his rabbeim, his mashkichim, his cousin. I mean, his whole childhood is here. That's like a built-in advantage for him. And Baruch Hashem, he's like a fish in water. For me, it was more like a new world, a new place, a new 
you know, new. Everything was new. I'm, I'm an American girl. I'm not an Israeli. And I stepped foot in Israel for 12 years from when I left seminary until I made Aliyah. And it was your idea or who initiated? It was not just an idea. It was, you know, we don't just live on ideas. We also live on practicality. Now, practically, at that stage in our life, when we were making a decision, if we're going to buy our house, what the future holds, it made sense suddenly to make Aliyah. It's just kind of all the components as far as the kids' education, as far as even my husband's health. There were things that I was taking into consideration. Maybe he'll be closer to his parents. Things could be easier. Health insurance was really expensive. We both need health insurance. We're middle-aged at this point, young, middle-aged, whatever. You know, in Israel, health insurance is free. And they were just like suddenly all kinds of different signs that were pointing to Israel. And how old are your kids? Or how old were they at the time? The time my eldest was 10, my youngest was two. I have a three-year-old, or she was four already, and then a seven-year-old. And they were all excited and on board. And, you know, listen, if you ask a psychiatrist, they might say, well, you know, your youngest girl, she developed a tick, a vocal tick, like around the time you made Aliyah, maybe it was very stressful for her. But I don't look at it like that, because even if she is a child that has anxiety sometimes, that's just part of, you know, that's not going to stop her from, living a wonderful life and not going to stop us from bringing her here to Israel to have an amazing experience. Everybody could start dwelling on all the more difficult aspects and challenging parts, but life is full of those things. And right now the goal is just to make Aliyah go higher. Talk to me about what it was like landing in Israel. How much prep did you do in advance in terms of, did you know where you were going to live, which community? I know I speak to many people, especially now in preparation for these series, and I'll ask them, which community are you going to move to? And some people have a clear idea, whereas others are, we're going to figure it out when we land. Right. So you want to know which camp we're in or which camp you should be in? (laughs) Both. Okay. So And I was talking about this, actually have like a six week Aliyah series on my podcast. I usually just do my weekly thing. And now I have like every two weeks about Israel, the Israeli squeeze. And I talk about Aliyah and what you should bring and what you should pack and how you should find the home. Different strokes for different folks. Let's just put it that way. Everyone has a different style. Some people make Aliyah. Some people do a pilot trip. Some people come earlier And some people just land here like we do on the fly, move into your in-law's house until you find an apartment. And then Baruch Hashem, Hashem finally sent something. So there's all that. But you have to live in the moment when you make Aliyah because arriving in Ben-Gurion and recognizing the flight, the all the anticipation, the things you buy in home goods that you're going to bring to Israel and your thoughts, like when you're going to come to the Kaisal, when you're going to have an Israeli passport, when your kids are going to speak Hebrew and falafel and all that good stuff is waiting for you. It's like so exciting and you go and enjoy it. You know what I mean? Like, sure, life gets complicated, but the whole process of physically and spiritually making Aliyah is physical and spiritual. Let's put it that way. So I always encourage people, if you're making Aliyah, get into the zone, read books about Aliyah, get inspired, recognize what a mitzvah, what a schus, what a joy it is to live in Eretz Israel, the history, the responsibility, like all of it. It's a whole experience. That's why it's Aliyah. And that for the people considering it are already doing that and looking for information. So let's go to the practical elements. I know you say you do that on your podcast. So anyone who's listening here is welcome to check it out. There's a lot more humor and I, I don't <laughs> it's know. It's a little light. It's a little lighter. It's light, but you're also very honest and 
you'll, you'll say things that other people would never say out loud and you do it in a microphone and you edit it beautifully and it sounds professional. Thank you. So let's turn that microphone on for a minute. Tell us, <laughs> tell Deal. us the dirty stuff got it. or okay. the uncomfortable stuff. People don't right. tell you when you're making Elia. Okay. Well, <laughs> I think that people forget. It's just like when you have babies, you know, those moments when you're holding your baby in the middle of the night and you literally turn to your husband and you say something horrible, like we are never, ever doing this again. <laughs> so of course there are those moments. Of course there are the moments that you're crying and that you're frustrated and that, you know, you're, you regretful or you're dealing with stuff. It's like moving is one of the most monumental things that we do in our lives. And it's like in the list of high five list of things that are really life-changing for people, especially across the ocean. For some people, they're leaving family, they're leaving everything they know. It's like a really big deal. There's going to be those moments, but anything massive and amazing and monumental has a flip side and has the good side that's amazing and has the challenging side. Nothing amazing comes without challenges or else we'd all be living on this amazing sphere. What are those amazing things? What are those challenging things? What were they for you? The first thing that will affect you as a woman is shopping. Shopping in Israel is a whole different animal. And by animal, I mean, it's comatose. <laughs> it's a very lazy, not inspired, not interested animal. Israelis shop for necessity. Shopping is not a culture here. Shopping is not for fun. Well, obviously, in the last few years, a little more as fashion and, you know, better brands come to Israel. But most of all, Israelis wear regular shoes, comfortable shoes. They wear casual, chic to weddings. And the priority is getting good quality stuff for a decent price so your kids could hike and swim and be on their trips. So because of that, you don't have a thriving delivery system like Americans do when they want something they want it right now. In Israel, it's like, I'll get it. We'll get it on Sunday. We'll go like, so in that respect, if you are very particular about your stuff, I always say Israel has everything that you need, not everything that you want. So if you have a lot of wants, Israel can be tough to say the least. On top of it, you have an entire nation of people who really think that they're better than their jobs. Like they don't really deserve to be working because every Jew thinks they should be on vacation. So everybody has a chip on their shoulder from the bank teller to the cash cashier to everybody in the service business. Nobody really wants to be whatever they're doing unless they're in the government. So there's this attitude like, you know, I don't just just if you would do your job better, I wouldn't have to do this this way. Interesting. I see you're smiling. I don't know if you get it or. <laughs> no, I'm wondering if in other countries, do people have more self-honor around their jobs? Not self-honor, but it defines them more. It could be. Yeah, that's that's a good observation. Highly likely. <laughs> so we have shopping. What's next? OK, the weather's a thing here. It gets really, really cold and windy and everyone goes to Yerushalayim. So you're going to be in Yerushalayim. It's going to be ridiculously cold and you're going to be, your toes are going to be numb and you're going to be walking six hours to the Kaisal, asking yourself why nobody told you that it's freezing one day and boiling the next day. So hot you could fry an egg on your, on your Merpeset. And then there's a sandstorm where everything gets coated in dust like this thick. And that always happens Erev Pesach. So when we're done cleaning, there's a sandstorm. And then there's like rain, torrential rains for weeks and weeks and weeks at a time. And there's not adequate a drainage system in some areas. It's mountains and hills and it's muddy. And like, it's just rain is crazy in Israel. And you pray for it and you don't complain for it. And then it's dry 
for seven months straight when it's so parched outside that you're, you're chugging water like a camel because it's not going to rain for seven months in a row. So the weather is a serious element to contend with here, but it feels like four seasons a year. So that's fun. And do you have any, you mentioned complaining about the water because we pray for the water. What about showers? Do you feel like you have to take shorter showers? No limits with water. No, no, definitely not. However, in Israel, there's no electric, there's solar system, solar panels for the hot water tanks on top of the roofs. So you're dependent on the sun to heat your water unless you have electricity for your boiler. Now, Israelis don't just turn on their boilers 24 hours a day because then your water's boiling and boiling and half the time you don't need it. So a lot of times people don't prepare their tanks in advance and there's just not enough hot water for showers. Not because there's a shortage of hot water, but because the tank has a limited capacity and it's solar paneled. You don't leave it on 24 hours a day. So when you live here, you recognize there's no shortage of water and there's no shortage of food and there's no shortage of anything. Whatever you need, you can get here. You name it, you can get it. Maybe not the best brand, maybe not as quick as you want it, but Israel is and with just figure things out. With the formula. And there's formula. (laughs) And there's formula. Exactly. Been getting it here from Israel. No problems. The Jewish supermarkets are fully stocked with the hell of Israel. (laughs) We hooked you up. (laughs) But don't don't take early chocolate because pigeons are a problem, which is also, by the way, a massive issue here. Cats and pigeons. Like if you have a irrational fear of either animal, do not move to Israel. And if you're allergic to sesame seeds, do not move to Israel. Well, Those can three you talk things. about the allergies. I've heard this line and you'll probably appreciate it. Oh, Americans, they have the luxury of having allergies. Oh, I never heard that. I never heard that never line. Heard but that. That's, well, I heard no. that in a bit. The point is in Israel, Bamba is given to any crawling or not crawling yet. Baby. Listen, you have to understand something. This is we're in the Middle East. They have a, they have a different metabolism and they have a different diet. And in different countries around the world, you know, in Africa, kids are eating live worms last I checked. So every stomach, every palate, Israelis are, you know, not predisposed to be allergic to stuff. But you know what? Plenty of Israelis are allergic to stuff and it is an issue. And Israel has the second highest rate of cancer, skin cancer in the world. So that's not a rational thing to say that in Israel, we give the kids bomba in America. We don't. Who knows? Next, let's talk about the healthcare system. Well, what's okay. it like compared to America? You either have your private insurance or you have your socialized insurance. If you have socialized insurance, that's basically what it's like. It's like you're waiting in line. There's a lot of people. It's not that personal. You have to make appointments through the computer. The doctor sees a lot of different patients getting referrals. It's like you have to really know what you're doing. Everything has to be paid for by the insurance. So you're, you're part of a system. You're part of a system. You're a number in a system. Then again, free health insurance. <laughs> like, how can you complain about free health insurance? You just have to be on top of things. It's not like in America where when you pay a premium, it's like you get first-class medical service. It's not like that. Then again, you're in Israel. And in Israel, there's just everyone's brothers and sisters. So we take care of each other and we love each other. And your doctor might call you extra because he's just thinking about you or knows you from Shul or that's just his way. So it balances out. It's not like completely cold and clinical, like in, in England, 
but it has its moments. But my daughter had surgery here. We didn't pay for it. Everything went well. She had an amazing doctor. I was very happy with the hospital service. So as far as I'm concerned, so far, so good. Let's go to the next thing, which is military. I know in America, it's voluntary. And in Israel, it's mandatory. And for a lot of people who are either religiously uncomfortable or just safety-wise uncomfortable, knowing their kids are going to be drafted no matter what. Is that a concern you've had? What are your thoughts around that? Well, when you live in Chutzlaritz and you think about your child going to the army, you just don't understand. You're just not an Israeli, you know, until you're an Israeli and until you're committed, fully committed, and until you could even, I would say you even live here for a little while, you really can't know how you'll feel about the army. So when you live here for enough years and you send your children to a school system that reveres the soldiers and appreciates them, and when your neighbor's sons are in the army and soldiers are all around you and you look at them and they're your brothers and your neighbors and your kids and it's like, this is what we do here. And nobody's exempt. I mean, there are people who are exempt, but that's part and parcel of living here. We defend Israel by the skin of our teeth at the front lines. And it's just something you do. So you're sending your children to Sherulumi slash army? Well, I even think about it to that extent. I have three daughters. I know that they either have to do Sherulumi or do two years in the army. So however that plays out is fine with me. I have a son. Yes, he's my only son. And thought of this, you know, sweet, gentle, well, he's not gentle, he's cuckoo, but this sweet cherubic face with his blue eyes and long eyelashes having to schlep. You know, sometimes I tell my son, he's like, carry my backpack. I say, no, walk uphill schlepping that backpack because you're going to be in the savan. You're going to have to carry heavy things on your back. And I make him schlep and it's just it's in your mind. It's in the back of your mind. It's in the front of your mind. But I'll deal with that when I get there. I'm sure I'll feel like every other Israeli mother, sick to my stomach and proud. Now let's talk about what it's like living with the enemy, the political. My husband? (laughs) Sure. (laughs) You want to go there. I know our audience loves all intimacy and marriage episodes. My husband's a rock star. My husband's great. But this one's about Israel. And you did an episode about how Arabs are, and excuse my language, because I am completely quoting you here, are like cockroaches. And that's right. I have replayed that episode or those segments from that episode to several people. And who agree? (laughs) I have no idea. There was like silence after. (laughs) But Talk to me about but it's what true. it's like living with people who, you know, if they had the chance, potentially would pull out a gun on you or bomb you if they had the chance. I'll tell you, you want the truth? And maybe they don't. Maybe they're grateful. I know I hear that the Israeli Arabs have a better life than the non-Israeli Arabs, and they're grateful to be a part of the Israeli state because they could have better jobs and better health care system. Listen. Listen, listen, it's infuriating to live in your in Israel and be surrounded by a bunch of violent, rebid, furious, fuming, out of control, irrational, murderous, bloodthirsty young men, women and children who literally think about murdering you and your children every single day, all day so that they can take Israel and your shalim and everything that we've done building up this country from the swamps with malaria while they were sitting in their huts, twiddling their thumbs. 
that they should take that from us and that we somehow owe it to them and the world should be on their side, convincing each other that the Jews don't belong in Israel. These Vildechaias belong in Palestine. The whole thing is insanity. It's literally infuriating what is going on and how once again, the Jews are being victimized here in Israel after running away to be saved from the Holocaust. There were people murdered fighting for Israel that survived concentration camps. And we have to apologize for them. Like the whole thing is infuriating. Now, you could think about it like this. What's Israel going to do? What's the country going to do? What's the land going to do? Yes, all valid concerns when you live here. But if you live here and you're a person of faith, which most people are here as just being Jews and connected to Hashem and to God above, who, who chose us and gave us this land, then you recognize that everything is Menashemite. Hashem runs the world. Hashem, this is the story of the Jewish people. The Arabs hate the Jews, period. Yishmael hates Yitzchak, period. This is just the way it's always been. Whether it's the Christians or the Arabs, it's no news. The Christians and the Arabs, Hashem put it in their DNA. Esav and Yishmael hate Yitzchak and Yaakov. End of story. And this is the story that's playing out. If you're a believer, you recognize that it's part of our story. If you're not a believer, then you could send your kid to the army and hope for the best. But the bottom line is we are living amongst our enemies. We are living amongst. Now, you're asking about people who are maybe better and part of society. No problem. No problem. But if nine out of 10 housekeepers steal from you, are you going to leave your 10th one home alone? At least ever. Probably not. At some point, it takes years for somebody to make you trust them. And they could be very nice and they could work in the pharmacies and work in the grocery stores and be cashiers and give you compliments and smile, but they'll smile to your face and who knows what they'll do to you tomorrow. And proof has shown that more congeal, happy, well-adjusted Israeli Arabs have done terrorist attacks than not, or many have turned around after 20 years of working for someone and stabbed them, you know, in their sleep, their children in their sleep. So never trust an Arab. <laughs> Not 40 years in his grave. That's a Middle Eastern expression. How do you raise your kids not hating all non-Jews when the non-Jews around them are all the enemy? Why should they hate non-Jews? They hate people who want to kill them. If you don't want to kill them, it's great. I have no issue. I respect all well, people. Their major exposure. You know, if you need a guy to do something for you on Shabbos. No, I, we have a Filipino. We don't take a Palestinian. <laughs> There's no major exposure. Look, children. These are the Palestinians. They live over there in the Gaza Strip and they live near Ashkelon and Ashdod and they work in the grocery store and they walk on the street and they're the gardeners and the delivery men. Be very careful from them. Not because I want you to live a fearful life of Gaim. Not because I don't trust people because they have proven to be murderers. And I'm not going to take that chance on my children. Certainly not. So when we're in America, I never told my kids don't open the door for the mailman. He might be a murderer or a terrorist. I taught my children to respect everyone, no matter their skin color, no matter their faith, no matter their religion. My parents have the same housekeeper. That's what she is. She's our housekeeper for 35 years. We, we consider her one of the Sadiqe Uma Sa'ilam. <laughs> we love her. We cherish her. She was at all our weddings. This has nothing to do with Gayim. This has to do with Palestinians and Muslim terrorists that live around us and want to kill us. That's it. It's very clear to your kids that they understand the difference. Yeah, sure. Talk to me about politics in Israel. I know every person has 5 million opinions and every cab driver has their political views. 
that you get <laughs> for free, for free, unsolicited opinions. Talk to me about what it's like when you have Jews fighting each other or polarizing each other. Okay. Now, I think that part of arguing and trying to figure out what the best way to do things is, is just part of the way we Jews are. It's part of our halachic system. We argue. It's part of our, the entire, an entire commentary on the Tyra is just one long argument, <laughs> if you think about it. So Jews are set up to argue. And when we argue, we can go back and forth and then with either judges or with, you know, majority or whatever it is by working it through, we can adapt things in our society. So Israeli politics, yes, they're challenging at times and everybody's arguing and going back and forth, but that's not the issue. There's two big issues in this country. The biggest issues that are making everything more difficult is the religious against the not religious communities here and that struggle. And then the Arabs against the Israelis and that struggle. So you're throwing, you're throwing in two massive dissonant issues that will never be resolved. The Israelis will never find peace with the Arabs and the secular will never find peace with the religious. And there's always going to be that deep rift between the two groups. So there's this massive struggle going on in this country where they're very zealous on every side. There's no losing when you're a Palestinian or an, or an Israeli, and there's no losing when you're secular or when you're from. Like, this is a fight to the death. And this is just like what hangs over this country all the time. We need Mashiach. When Mashiach comes, it'll be resolved. Till then, it's just going to be a wheel that keeps turning. So no resolutions. <laughs> it's not that there's no resolutions. It's very hard to come to them because I think people do want to live in peace. And I think the Chilonim respect the secular people and the secular people respect the Chilonim and that if the Arabs weren't murderers, the Jews would just live peacefully with them. We're not murderers. Like everybody could coincide. The problem is that this is the, the nature of the world. Maybe we're bored, <laughs> but for some reason, we're always at each other's throats. So someday they're better than others. And, you know, sometimes there's a massive tragedy and people are like, oh my gosh, we have to have more Abbas Israel and the secular and the from, and maybe even the Israeli and the Arabs on a good day. But for the most part, everybody's just very zealous. Baruch Hashem, most of the things that affect my children's education, their health care, their day-to-day -day lives run smoothly and we have everything we need. And the tax system is great. And the health department, you know, they recently raised the, the taxes on plastic, which I support because I think Israelis use too much plastic. I wish they would get rid of lice, but, you know, one thing at a time. You're bringing up lice. That was going to be one of the next things I brought up. <laughs> lice exists all the time. Am I scratching my head? I might be. <laughs> well, when we talk about lice, we like to touch and scratch. I'm sending my daughter to Israel for a week. I'm expecting her to return with a lice check after. <laughs> that okay. is on the program. What are some things you want parents to know about or be aware or do you just surrender to this issue? Yes, or? yes, yes. You surrender. And I, this is what I mean. I mean, it doesn't mean you don't take precautions. Every parent ties their hair back, their child's hair back. You're aware of it. You tell your kids not to share brushes, but it's inevitable. For some reason, it's inevitable. All my kids have had it throughout the years over and over. All my neighbor's friends, kids have had it. It's in the school. Kids scratch just right in front of your face. You see lice on other kids' hair sometimes. Your parents are constantly sending notes. I saw a knit in her hair. I think she had a lice. She was scratching. Check your daughter. They hung out today. 
But that doesn't stop Israelis from going swimming and hanging out and playing Chinese jump rope and living their lives and sending their kids to school. So the kids are together from time to time. Kids get lice, but we don't let it sit. The second your kid scratches, you quickly check their hair. Everybody has these great combs. We spray quickly. You comb through the hair regularly. Some people do it every day. Some people do it twice a week. Some people rarely and some people never. But it's not something you panic about. You just deal with it. And eventually they leave elementary school and it goes away. So it's only an issue with younger children. 100%. You're not passing it around to the moms and no, their no, no. I mean, sometimes you get it because your kids share brushes, but you know. Let's talk about next thing on my list is careers. Is it hard to make money in Israel or do you just rely on all the free resources? It's hard to make money anywhere. However you make your money, you're working for it and you have to work for it in America and you have to work for it in Sweden and you have to work for it in Israel. Now, correct. Are the opportunities the same? Not necessarily. That's just life. You know, different countries have different opportunities and you have to learn what's available for you in this country. So if you have something that's very, very niche, you might have trouble finding that career here. But we're all human beings. Whatever you want to do, you could do here and get paid for it, essentially. Obviously, the economy works differently and people's priorities are different and people's spending habits are different. So you adjust and you figure it out. We personally saw bracha in our careers. Obviously, we still work very hard and we would love more, but we're making it. You know, we're making that. Do some people struggle? Sure, but people struggle everywhere. Some people move back and come back and then go back and then... I'm not saying it's, you don't know for sure. So let me rephrase the question. You are raising kids. What are you going to help them career-wise with your advice? That's a good question. So my children are all, they're very intelligent. Obviously, everybody is succeeding at their own levels. I personally don't pressure my girls academically, maybe because I grew up in a traditional Hasidic home where we didn't, you know, we weren't pushed academically. I want them to do well. I also recognize that they're Olim and the Hebrew could be a challenge and every kid at their own level. So I assume that whatever my, whatever comes my kid's way and whatever is offered to them in their schools or in their, amongst their peers will be open-minded to whether they want to become architects or whether they want to become teachers. I have a daughter, I think she would be a great teacher, but she might be a scientist who knows. And then I might have a daughter who just wants to get married and make money doing something fun, like selling something or being an artist or an esthetician, whatever. So I don't know. I'm, you know, whatever my kids want to do, I'll support. And I think they'll have that opportunity here. I'll just bring this up because I'm aware of it, but like the high paying careers, let's say in America, or you go to school. Yes. You might take out loans that might take you your whole life to repay, but you, you could have starting out salary. Let's say it's 150,000 a year. Those numbers, even in high tech, don't really exist in Israel. So let's say you are going for the highest paying corporate positions where you're salaried. And we're not talking necessarily government where you get a lot of benefits in addition to lower salaries. But then when you look at the cost of food or you look at the cost of living in terms of rent or properties, what they cost, they do seem to not match what the Listen, there's an answer for that too. And then what I've heard based on asking around is that Israelis don't save for retirement or for anything else. They just spend what they have. They live paycheck to paycheck and it's just a different mentality. 
you know, I'm talking about know. professionals. I'm not talking about Colo. I obviously I don't know what people have in their bank accounts. I don't know how everybody does it. There is a mentality here in Israel, a very traditional Jewish mentality where, you know, depending on your maybe Ashkenazi or Sephardi, often elderly people move into their children's homes. Like Jews don't really put not religious Jews or observant Jews or tra- traditional Jews don't put their parents into nursing home and like nursing we, as our parents age, it's one of the mitzvot, it's one of the sarasadibras to take care of our parents. So there is this culture of as you age, you'll, your children are there for you. And a lot of parents leave their money to their children and don't end up taking a lot of vacations or, or going on cruises. Israelis kind of live a very, a more modest life. Now, is life expensive? Yes. Can it be cheaper? Yes. Do I wish it was cheaper? Sure. But that's not something I could control. And I don't, like I said, I don't find the payoff for living here and maybe spending a little more or having a little bit less is worth it for me. My kids don't need as much and we can't buy as much, but we have so much other wonderful things. And I think a lot of Israelis feel like that. So yeah, maybe your career will be smaller. Maybe you'll be a big respected doctor in America and just a social doctor here that gets a very low paycheck, but your life is fulfilling in so many different ways that a lot of people are and then bracha comes. You never know. There's billionaires in this country too. So there's plenty of money here to be made. There's plenty of brilliant, amazing people making a ton of money here. So I don't think that should be an issue for anyone. You brought up Ashkenazim and Spartan. Let's talk about racism within the Jewish community in Israel, what it's like, and what are some of the thoughts that come Listen, to you? Every single Jew can list you 20 different Jews that aren't a problematic. <laughs> it's funny. I'm doing a fundraiser for daily giving, right? So daily giving is just an organization. I'm not plugging them. I'm just explaining that they're a tzedakah organization. So I'm representing them on social media on some level. So a girl messages me tonight on Instagram who never messaged me before to give me a tongue lashing, why I'm not supporting Chabad's dollar a day tzedakah organization and why I'm supporting a tzedakah organization that is anti-Chabad and I'm Chabad. Like this, and I was like, what? I was just came out of like left field. And I realized like that's just the way Jews are. Like everybody, you know, this one doesn't like that one, that one doesn't like this one. Now, as far as broad spread racism goes, listen, we're as human beings, it takes us time to adjust. So yeah, when thousands of Ethiopians flooded the country, they were welcomed with open arms, but it took a while for the Israelis, for the Ashkenazi, for the whiter people to appreciate that these are fellow Jews, brothers and sisters, and they're part of our community and our children are going to marry them. These things take time, but we're definitely there already. Now, listen, Israelis, they, as far as Ashkenazi, everybody has issues with everybody until there's a terrorist attack. And then we're all brothers and sisters. So again, everybody's killing each other until somebody actually kills us. And then everybody unites and we love each other and we support each other and we're there for each other. And we don't, we see past skin color and politics and all that. And then cholesterol, like cholesterol, like we're there for each other. There's just that understanding. So the balance is out, whatever quote racism there is. Let's talk about Kashras. When anyone who has gone to seminary or yeshiva, they probably got the Kashras speech on all the millions of Hechsharim out there and which ones are good, which ones are not. This past year has been the Shemitah year. Next year is the year after Shemitah year. How has that, I know you're not a farmer, but how has that affected 
your day-to-day and do you find it spiritual? Do you find it super inconvenient? Do you have trouble understanding Hersherim and all the okay. politics around that? So yes, I I have to admit that is my Achilles heel here. I don't buy chicken. I know I have like some basic rules because my husband knows better than I do. We buy a certain hashgach of meat, which is which means we don't buy meat in the regular grocery store, even though it's rabanut and certified for kosher enough for a lot of people. Chicken, you're a little more flexible on as long as it's a certain broader hechsher. But most of the food products here have decent hechsher. And most of the grocery stores share whether their fruits are grown this year or last year or from chutzler. It's, it's understood here in the country that most people or many of levels of observance when it comes to food and what we ingest and what, you know, all these things that it's part of the culture here. So I don't have to worry so much. I could kind of rely on, well, that restaurant's kosher all year. So I'm sure, you know, it's kosher enough Shemitah wise. I had a friend here come from America and say she doesn't eat any fruit that was grown in Israel at all, even if it was sold to an Arab, which is allowed. You're allowed to sell your field to an Arab. They're allowed to, you know, grow produce and sell it back to the Israelis. But some people feel like that's a loophole. So they only eat fruits and vegetables that were grown a year before or they just don't have it. And then it's cognition, you know, throw away the peels. So there are a lot of levels. Obviously, you still check your vegetables here and produce and the same way you check in America. But it depends. You know, there's there's women taking classes on Shemitah who are really into it. I can't tell you that I know so much about it, but you'll be OK. Like people will help you out. Let's talk about the big thing, raising kids, the mentality differences between Middle East and Western culture. And what are some of those mindset adjustments that need to happen? Well, you're not going to have a pool (laughs) and you're not going to go to Disney World. Your kid is not going to have the coolest sneakers all the time. You're not going to spend your Sundays thinking where you could go and what you could do and what you can buy. Instead, you're going to spend a lot of time outdoors, walking to school, going on hikes with your class, being outdoors, building bonfires on Lag Bomer, building the sukkahs, celebrating Yom Atzma'ut outdoors at the park all day. Israelis love to hike and swim and travel and explore the land and be outdoors. And it's just part of your culture here. So your kid is going to have to learn, like they're going to have to walk uphill at some point. Like if you have a kid who's like, doesn't like to walk uphill too bad, (laughs) everyone in Israel at some point has to walk up hills and you just do it. So my kids complained when we first moved here and now they all walk uphill to the ice cream store if need be. There's a less spoiled mentality. At the same time, Israelis have their shtick too. My kids are out very late at night. Shabbos, there's no cars in the street. So the whole day my kids are running around. I'm not always 100% sure where they are. Israelis, we let our kids drink iced coffee in the morning and everybody has money on them and kids go to the store with their mother's credit cards and it's Israeli kids, you know, they, they have a freedom. So that's definitely a culture shift. Don't fight it. You know what I mean? Like just get your kids those Israeli sandals and those blunt stones and let them stay out late. And they're going to be speaking great Hebrew and uh, embrace it and embrace the music and the culture and the language and the mentalities and the, the habits of the Israelis. Embrace it. You brought your kids here to be Israelis. Don't fight it. What are some more examples of Israeli culture? Israelis do parties on Fridays. So it's very common to have like a bar mitzvah or bat mitzvah on Friday. 
and you end up eating all Friday and all Friday night. Israelis throw wild parties. They love to dance and you don't have to dress up, but you should be wearing your best sneakers when you go to your friend's wedding. So you can dance the whole night and just have a sababa time and just really celebrate. And Israelis love to have a good time. That's for sure. It really depends. It depends where you live. If you live in South Tel Aviv or if you live in the penthouse in Yerushalayim, like lives here can be very diverse and different. But ultimately, your kids should love to, your kids should love the land. That's a common thread. Israeli children and teenagers and young adults have respect for Israel and they recognize that they're going to have to defend it. Your kids should have a respect for themselves and realize they're worth fighting for. And no Arabs or Palestinians or Americans or anyone should tell them that because they're Jews, they don't deserve to defend themselves. And that living in Israel is a schus, whether you're from or not from, whether you're secular or Hasidic or whatever your background is. Living in Israel has so many beautiful, it's just the gift that keeps giving no matter who you are. So anyone who has a soul <laughs> recognizes that and should recognize that. And it just it make, it give you know, you have a more fulfilled life when you think about your purpose and how it connects to where you live. Give us some highlight moments. I know you're very good at that. Then can you give us some low moments? Sure. Highlight moments. Well, so many. That's actually hard to pinpoint. Well, my career has done really well. We just filmed an like an incredible concert here in Israel with an all women's band. And it's my seventh or eighth opportunity with this beautiful women's band performing professionally. And that's something I only dreamed of in America and here it's like happening. So that's a high point. Obviously the experiences we haven't missed with my husband's family being at weddings and celebrating with them many years we were apart and we love them. And I'm happy that my kids have a beautiful Jewish family here that loves them and accepts them and invited them here and help them adjust. So that's a beautiful highlight. And I just love the land, like I, the sunsets and the waterfalls and the hikes and just so many beautiful things that I've seen and experienced like physically. You have an entire album called I am the land. I am the land. Yes. I certainly feel that when I when I'm out and about. Now, low lights, listen, my daughter had surgery. I had the Surfside tragedy was my aunt and uncle. I was here in Israel and I couldn't go home, sit with my parents for 10 days while they dug through the rubble. I was like sit, sitting here just crying to, to myself. Like, so it was horrible. And then I flew to Florida and I was with my family and it was hard for me to leave them. And there's things that I miss at home. And there's very frustrating moments when you're dealing with Israeli things. And sometimes you're just like, enough. Stop being so annoying, Israel. Get it together. Make my life easier for a change. That's normal. For example. For example, I don't know, the boiler for the third time flooded and made the whole ceiling wet and it's midnight and I'm sitting and the ceiling is dripping on my head till you figure out who whose boiler it is and find the attendant. The Israeli doesn't answer his phone after eight o'clock to come figure that out. We once had, well, had a worker on our roof. My kid thought it was an Arab. I panicked. I pulled my kids inside from the porch and slammed the door on my son's finger because I was like in such a panic. And then it wasn't even an Arab. It was just a worker that decided to go on our roof without letting us know. <laughs> so like there's all of these things like traffic and customer service and people who lash out at you and you're like, seriously, because I didn't pack my bags fast, whatever it might be. There's a lot of those moments. But when I look back after 120 years, I don't think those are going to be the ones that I remember. And before we close, 
any feedback you've gotten from your kids so far? I know it's pretty fresh, but what have you learned from them adjusting to new life? A really good question. So we're here five years now. A few things. First of all, children live in the now. So sometimes they, you know, they'll say something like, I wish we had a pool. I remember Florida and Disney World and stuff like that. But they live in the now. So when your children are happy in the now and they're living full lives, I'm not saying easy, but full lives that are, that give them what to do and give them opportunity to grow and have challenges and live and have fun and all those great experiences. They're not going to dwell on what they left behind. They're going to be happy. So I've learned that kids really are happy when they're happy. (laughs) So that's great. I've learned that my kids are smarter than me, but that's something I might've learned also in America, just the way they, they learned Hebrew and they're studying. And my third graders, like, I need help with math. And I'm like, I can't do that math. Like, no way, not in Hebrew, for sure not. And they're succeeding. So that's beautiful. And that if you love Israel and you say it and you believe it and you think it and you feel it, your kids will feel the same way. So that's the secret. Just say it. I love it here. I don't let my children talk Lush and Har about Israel. I don't let them litter. I remind them every Chag that we're lucky to be here. I respect the atmosphere and the culture and I have Israeli flags and I all these things that make my children proud to be here. So they are proud to be here. Amazing. Thank you so much. Any closing remarks? <laughs> well, first of all, make Aliyah, but you know, do it the way and that don't make yourself sick. If it's not happening right now and it's not unfolding, it's not your time. Don't worry. Everyone is coming to Israel. That's just like, that's the, the end of the story for the Jewish people. So whether it's today, tomorrow, or when Mashiach comes, you'll all be here eventually. And we'll be safe and sound in our land. And we will be a light onto the nations and serve Hashem and make this world a better place. And that will be, then it'll be all worth it. Thank you so much, Hanala. You're very welcome. Thanks for sticking around until the end. I hope you have a beautiful, meaningful, and easy Yom Kippur. If you need help launching branding or marketing of your podcast, please do reach out. Stay tuned for the follow-up episode to this series. See you next time. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.